You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. Right now, we got a governor that's working hard for Georgia. Governor Brian Kemp is joining me right now. And welcome back, sir. How are you? Hey, good morning, Martha. Doing great. Hope you are. I'm doing great. Listen, before we get into talking a little bit about the session, and this kind of does relate to the session, one of the biggest issues, I don't care where I go, is people are talking about their general safety, whether it's safety going to downtown Atlanta, safety in their own homes, safety in their cars. Tell us about what you're pushing for and what you're implementing on that front. Well, you're exactly right, and it's more of the same for us. You know, this is an issue that I campaigned on back in 2017. We've been pushing it for the last four years, and we're continuing to do so now. I think when a lot of people didn't really realize or wouldn't talk about the street gang problem that we have in our state, uh, human trafficking, a lot of other things, uh, you know, that's that's what we were campaigning on, and that's what we've been moving the needle on. And we've continued to build on that. We're doing that this year. You know, we created the Get Task Force at GBI. Last year gave Attorney General Carr some resources to have gang prosecutors, just like his human prosecution unit. They've done an, an incredible job in less than a year with those resources. And this year, as I mentioned in the state of the state, Martha, if these gang members who are recruiting our children into gangs keep coming after our kids, we're going to come after them. And uh, Senator Bo Hatchett, one of my floor leaders, is going to have legislation this morning on the Senate floor stiffening penalties for those that are recruiting our kids into gangs. And this is happening not in high school anymore. It's happening in, in uh, middle and elementary school as well. Well, you know, Bo Hatchett, funny story is, um, I w- you know, I went back to school 2016, and Bo was in one of my classes uh, when he was a student and uh, when he was finishing up his law degree. So I got to know him as a student, and then now I'm working with him as one of your floor leaders. So it's uh, it's funny how things happen, especially since I was a really old student. But anyway, well. yeah. It's always good. He, right? He's doing a he's doing a great job, and you know he could be a chairman of a committee right now, but he elected to remain a floor leader because he, you know, uh, is really bought into the agenda that we've had, and he's serving Northeast Georgia well for sure. So, in the session, of course, we've got all the big issues of passing the budget, and you're going to do some great things as far as pay raises and that sort of thing. Um, it appears we're not going to have some big controversial issues come up, but I am getting a lot of calls about gambling and that kind of thing. So what is your view on how the session's going right now? Well, I think it's going good. I mean, people are still getting their feelings about them, especially the new members that we have. Obviously, we have new leadership, which we've gotten off to. A tremendous start with Lieutenant Governor uh, Burt Jones and Speaker John Burns. We have a great team. Uh, in the General Assembly. We've got a great agenda to help Georgia's fight through Joe Biden's 40-year high inflation, continue to keep our economy going strong, doing another tax rebate and uh, property tax relief, which I campaigned on, so that is well underway. Uh, but we're also dealing with education a lot. Our workforce is our primary source of 
need when it comes to continuing economic development and having the workforce as businesses and commerce needs to keep our economy humming. And so we're focused on school security, but also workforce training, workforce development. Yeah, and we're going to be working hard on the school board this year of the uh, English standards as well as new literacy programs and better dyslexia screening. And that's going to, you know, the the number of kids that have issues with reading, a very high number of those kids are undiagnosed dyslexics. And it's important that we, we reach all of those folks because reading is the core, right? If you can read and you can read at grade level, you can be pretty successful in school. Well, that's exactly right, and also just Chancellor Purdue's working on this along with uh, Secretary Woods on just making sure that we're getting good career paths for our kids so that when they graduate, they have skills or can obtain the skills very quickly uh, to be able to go into the workforce and the good-paying jobs that, you know, we need them to be in and, and the private sector needs them to be in. There's so much opportunity in our state just making sure our kids understand that and that they can have a better opportunity going into the private sector than going into a gang. I mean, that's one of our biggest challenges right now in the state. Well, you know, Chancellor Purdue has been a real advocate for uh, having more professional standards as it relates to education, uh, education training, you know, within the colleges and universities, how they're turning out teachers because they're really working hard to be able to turn around this uh, retention problem that we have. I know that... Uh, uh, Richard Woods is also, Superintendent Woods is also working on that on a retention basis. But uh, I thought the Chancellor's speech a couple of weeks ago was just spot on as far as that issue is concerned. And I know your daughter's a teacher. And so, you know, this is something really close to your heart. Well, the good thing, too, is we've got such a great relationship to Chancellor Purdue and Commissioner Dozer at TCSG, which is our technical college system. And uh, along with Superintendent Woods, State School Board, and everybody else. I mean, everybody's on the same uh, sheet of music, if you will, Martha. I mean, we're just working hard. We've got to do that together and make sure that we have good career paths for our kids and continue this great opportunity that people have seen in Georgia despite a national agenda that continues to pick winners and losers. So last week, speaking of the national agenda, you were at the National Governors Association. Uh, were you at the dinner Saturday night? No, we actually, Marty and I came on Friday night, so we didn't actually go to the, to the White House for the, for the dinner, uh, but had really great meetings up there. Uh, really, you know, I mean, you know, we also went to the Republican Governors Association meeting, which is really where you're seeing all the action on great economies, lowest unemployment rates in the states or where we have Republican governors. And you look at what's happening in the South and the Southeast. I mean, that's where all the action is. We're right-to-work states. We're not picking winners and losers. We're letting uh, market forces work. We've got lean, efficient governments with low taxes. And there's tremendous competition with states like, you know, Tennessee and Texas and uh, South Carolina and others. But it also continues to keep us sharpening our pencil here and working hard and you know, we're getting share, our share of those jobs and investments, and we've had two, two and a half years of record economic development uh, in our state, great revenues, which is helping our people fight through 40-year high inflation. 
Well, what I love about it is I drive around Georgia a lot, and my husband and I usually will take back ways. We don't necessarily go on the interstates whenever we can. And what you see in small towns all around Georgia, small and medium-sized towns, is building going on that are places where people are going to work. And I think it's really, really important that you, you, one of the things I love about your agenda is that you've not only brought business to Atlanta, because people love coming to Atlanta, people love having businesses there, but you have also really focused on making sure that this business footprint goes all over the state. Well, and that's what we're seeing. If you really dive down into the numbers, you know, last year, 75% of the investment went outside the metro region, um, the first, well, the first half of this year, I think it was like 85% of the investments going outside of the metro area, over half the jobs that are coming. So really, no matter your zip code, you're having good opportunity close to where you live or where you grew up. And that's what we want. It's good for us. It helps us diversify our economy. It's happening in all sectors. We're seeing a industrial revolution with manufacturing in our state that we haven't seen since we lost the textile industry with NAFTA. And so a lot of our rural communities are really surging right now. We just got to keep that going and keep chopping, as we say. Absolutely. So I haven't talked to you since you went to Davos. How was that experience, and what was the message you were taking there? Well, it was a great experience. I'm glad I went. I got to sell our state to the whole world, to a lot of people that are already doing business in Georgia and a lot of others that are looking to do that. And so it was just incredible to be able to really shoot and fish in a barrel out there. It was much different than I thought. I mean, look, there's global elite there for sure, but there's also a lot of like-minded people that are there in the business community and there were you know a few politicians like myself that weren't afraid to stand up and talk about our conservative values and how we're doing things the georgia way on a national stage and uh, quite honestly I, I was very pleased with the trip we also made a stop in hamburg germany and visited three companies that have been growing in our state and you know they're companies that are creating jobs in rural parts of our state like up in the you know, Hartwell, Livonia area, um, and, and Davenport and Savannah and, and others, so, uh, in the Augusta area. So we're very excited about that and us be able to continue to do what I campaigned on, Mark, and that's create jobs for our hardworking people, not just for them, but also for their kids and their grandkids. And that's what I'm working hard to do every single day. So the one final issue is we continue to have this kind of repercussions from the poor immigration policy on the border. You know, what are you seeing as the impact on Georgia related to that? Well, look, every governor in the country, Martha, is dealing with the fentanyl crisis. We've talked a lot about human trafficking, labor trafficking. We're seeing that. I mean, it's it's and that's one of the things I said in Davos. You know, I was on a 45 minute panel. I only got to speak for a minute and 36 seconds because there was a bunch of federal politicians on there that talked a lot. But, you know, I said there, just while you're working on comprehensive immigration form in a bipartisan way, just secure the dang border. They've been talking about that for 20 years and nothing's happened. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Scott said... I loved the Jesus commercial. Your thoughts on this? Well, it is 
the commercials are called He Gets Us, and they had one in the first half and one in the second half. And they've been doing these commercials for about a year. And uh, it's really interesting watching the media on this because when they thought it was a left-leaning group of people that came together to do these commercials, they loved them. And now that they found out that the money behind them is Hobby Lobby and a bunch of Christian organizations, they hate them. But I like them because I think we do have to find a way to spread the message to young people because more and more young people are not exposed to the message of Jesus Christ. And I think it's really important that we do that. And you got to do it by the way you live, but you also got to do it by being where they are. And I don't know. You've, your dad's a pastor. You're a pastor's kid. What, have you seen those commercials? What do you think? I've I've seen those commercials before. I'm I'm not really as big a fan when they're clearly using them to do like political statements, like when they were trying to make like immigration That's statements the only with one it. That but was those political. didn't see that, and I don't remember the first half one, but I know the second half one. It was very much not a political ad. That kind of stuff I'm I can get behind more easily. Yes, and they will admit that was their most political ad because it is true that Mary and Joseph weren't refugees. Mary and Joseph were required because of a census to go to their home town of their family because he was the uh, i guess in this in the line of david um he had to go back to bethlehem to be a part of the census and so um it wasn't a refugee situation it was following the law taking his, his but i guess because they couldn't find room in the inn or whatever they're calling them refugees yeah i guess i don't know I but guess. that one i was i was never nuts about but like i and again, I don't remember the one um, the, in the first half. I probably just wasn't looking at the TV at that point. But the one in the second half, I, I thought was fine. Well, it's kind of like those ads that are done by that group that's called Pass It On. And they're real positive messages like the guy giving up his seat to an old lady in the bus and other things like that. Look, we I don't anything that's going to bring more civility into life and and being able to, you know, my goal now at this point in my life and this point in my faith life, um, I was raised just little background. I was raised a Lutheran. And, um, you know, I jokingly say we don't have to talk about God because we're Lutheran. You know, our pastors told us what to think. And it wasn't a personal relationship at the way it is in an evangelical sense. And then when I got to be 29 years old, I went through a very difficult time in my life where I felt kind of abandoned by everybody around me. I felt like a big fat failure. And I had a lot of horrible things happening at the time. And I had that moment where you just get on your knees and you ask for Jesus to come into your life. And I felt a peace after that, like I have never known before. And it was a conversion. I was, I consider myself an even evangelical, even though I had been raised into the church. And then over the years, I'm 63 now, over the years, I've gone through like what a lot of people, I was a lot more radical about my faith right after that conversion moment. I was just trying to tell everybody I knew about Jesus. And now I'm a little more in a place where I want to live my life in a way that people will say, gee, what is it about you? Why is it that you're happy? So that gives me the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. I think that most people are get a little put off if they don't have Jesus in their life. And if you just come right up to them and start evangelizing, they get a little put off. 
And I think that Jesus, when you look at how he traveled around, he brought people to him because of his message. They were drawn to him. Of course, he was the son of God. Okay, so so of course they were drawn to him. But I want to be like Gene Beckstein. I want to be like Angela O'Kelly. Um, I want to be like, you know, the people that I've met in my life where I have said, wow, they are as close to Jesus Christ as I can remember. And I don't, I know I'm always going to fall short because I'm a human being and I'm imperfect, but I hope that the way I live my life, I show people that um, I believe in Jesus and I think that he's our savior. But I also believe that people come to him in different ways. And the hardest thing I had to accept, because I'm a rule follower, you know, is that it doesn't matter whether you come to him on the first day or the last day. You are as much loved by him, regardless of when you come. And so that's why I have such hope for the world. That's why even in the dark times that we're in right now, where I feel like there's a lot of evil in the world, there's a lot of holes that are being filled by evil. Um, I think that, that God is there and Jesus is there. And if you will be open to it, you will feel it and you can get the good things done. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Senator Rick Scott is joining me right now. Uh, Senator Scott, you know, it's always great to have you on the program because I look at you as a truth teller. Okay, you tell the truth, even if it's unpopular. And right now, with all due respect to the leadership on the Republican side, they sound... Mitch McConnell sounds a lot like Chuck Schumer when he's talking about the, what he will and won't do. And it's aggravating me because the de- the defense of of what we're doing is just not there. We know Social Security and Medicare has to be fixed, and that doesn't mean we want to get rid of it. And it's very frustrating to me. Martha, you know what's, what I don't get is why don't we want to solve problems up here? I mean, we have a, we have a spending problem. All right, and that spending problem is going to spill over to the viability of Medicare and Social Security. So if we actually care to preserve Social Security and Medicare, which I do, I think most of us do, then we've got to get our fiscal house in order. We've got to start living within our means. And so I'm going to keep fighting to figure out how do you do what every family does in this country? You live within your means. You just can't say, hey, hey, bank, just give me a little bit more money. Hey, credit card company, I know I didn't pay, but just roll over all my debt. Uh, that interest, I, I couldn't pay the interest, so just roll it over. That's what they act like up here, that forever we can just roll over our debt, don't worry about spending. And so I'm going to fight every day to preserve the programs that matter. I did it when I was governor of Florida. I went through every line in the budget. Think about this, Martha. Florida had not lived within its means for 20 years before it became governor. They'd increased the state debt by over a billion dollars every year for 20 years. We were going into fault in our debt. So what did I do? I didn't say I'm going to get rid of everything. I said, let's go line by line and find the things that work and get rid of the things that don't work. Get rid of the things that we don't need. Get rid of the things that, that oh, it was sounded nice, but it didn't work. That's what we got to do up here. But we don't even think about that. We don't go through budgets. I'm on the budget committee. I've been up here four years. We don't pass budgets. I mean, there's a budget committee hearing today. It's not even about the budget. It's about something else. I mean, it's, so I'm going to do everything I can to preserve Social Security and Medicare. But I can tell you what, if we don't get our fiscal house in order, there's a day of reckoning when 
you know, we, so, you know, and Martha, I was thinking about this earlier today. You realize that people think there's, you know, they send their money in for Medicare, that there'd be some fund up here that holds all the money. No, there's not. There's no, there's no fund up here with all the Medicare or Social Security money. What it is is the government takes that and spends it, and there's an IOU from government to pay the Medicare, uh, to pay back the Medicare trust fund and pay back the Social Security trust fund, which means that some taxpayer in the future is going to pay for any payment under Social Security or Medicare today. You know, and, and it, it really is very basic. I mean, and it ought to be what Republicans stand for. Uh, we ought to have a budget that well, makes only sense. on campaign, Martha. That's that's for campaign. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, and it seems like in Georgia, what we do here is is every we have seven departments. So in every seven years, there's a top to bottom look at a department. So it's once. I mean, I'd love to do it every year, but what we do is one department a year, so that every seven years, the entire budget is looked at, and it's a process that works pretty well for us. You know, I don't see why we couldn't do something like that in the federal government. I get that the Defense Department thinks they're too big to be audited, and I am very pro-defense and will spend the money it takes for us to be as strong as we need. But we can't say there's no waste there because we know there is. And then the same thing with Medicare and Social Security. We have created, especially with Medicare, a patchwork quilt where we started out with one thing and then we've added to it and added to it, and now it doesn't look anything like what it started out to be and yes i think it was great when we added wellness kinds of things in the 90s to medicare but there are some things that don't work in medicare and that doesn't mean i want to get rid of it right like why do we pay more uh, for a procedure that's in a hospital versus in a surgery center same procedure why do we do that i mean it doesn't make any sense so what you have to do is i when i was going to florida i went through every line every year every department and we found waste and we got rid of it. So I'm a business guy and I did turnarounds. I would buy a company uh, that was struggling and I would go in and I would fix it. I'd bring in a new management team. We went through the budget. We figured out how to grow our revenues. We gotta do the same thing up here. First thing is why don't we figure out how to grow our economy? Because when you grow your economy, the federal revenues will grow. That's the first thing we gotta be doing every day. How do we get more jobs? How do we get more companies to expand in America? How do we grow the economy? Because that's, that's the easiest thing to do is grow the economy because then our revenues go up. Then you say you go through line by line, but you can't do it if you don't pass a budget. You know, here's how we passed the budget last year. We waited. The budget starts October 1. We didn't do anything. We said, oh, we'll just spend, we spent last year, whether it was good money or bad. But in, in December, right before Christmas, they gave us an omnibus bill at one thirty in the morning on a Tuesday and expected us to vote on it within hours. Three times the size of the Bible, 7,500 earmarks. That's not how you would spend your personal money. You know, that's not how you decide how to spend your money as a, as a business or as a family. Why are we doing that up here? So anybody that doesn't want to figure this budget out doesn't care about Social Security and Medicare. Anybody who wants to say, oh, we're just going to raise the debt ceiling with no structural changes to fix, you know, the overall the budget. I mean, they, they're telling you they don't care about Social Security and Medicare. They, they might, like, a, they'll have a nice sound bite, but when they say they don't want to fix anything, they're telling you they don't really care about you. No, you're absolutely right about that. Um, I'm glad you mentioned about the, the price of between surgery centers and Medicare um, prices, because I had my knee replaced two years ago. I'm not on Medicare, but 
probably by the time I have my next knee done, I'm going to have to have the other one done. I probably will be on Medicare. The rules are completely different. It's like I would have to go in and stay overnight in a hospital once you're on Medicare versus a surgery center where I had my first knee done. I went in at 530 in the morning. I was home by 1030 and I was doing rehab on my own. I mean, it is it doesn't make any sense at all how they do things. Right. And so why wouldn't we take our time um, and, and, and think about how we're doing it? everything you do? You spend your money, whether it's going to a restaurant, you think, well, is that where I'm going to get the best value for the type of food I want tonight? When you buy, when you buy an, a, a phone, you're saying, okay, so what's, what do I want out of my phone, right? And, you know, can somebody make it so I can I spend less money? When you, everything you buy, you do that. We should be doing the same thing with every bit of the federal government. So the government you, is simply oh, to provide us the services we want. That's all it is. So what do you think is going to happen with this debt limit increase? Well, I'm optimistic. I, I think that I think that we will, there's a group of us up here, and we want real structural change. We want to get back to a balanced budget, which is all doable. Think about this. If we, if we went back to 2019 spending, so the year before COVID, and we continue to collect the revenues we're, we're anticipated to collect this year, we would have a balanced budget. So what happened in basically four years the budget had to go up as much as it's gone up because we just it was just a bunch of waste uh, a bunch of programs that sounded nice but COVID's over we don't need to keep doing that and so I'm going to I'm going to fight for structural change I'm going to fight for a balanced budget and so the way you do it is you got to educate everybody about what how you have this opportunity and so I'm optimistic I'm optimistic that there's a group of us that are going to make this happen uh, we're not just going to do what the Democrats want, just say, oh, just raise the debt ceiling so we can just keep spending to oblivion. Because it's going to, at some point, people are going to say, I'm not going to lend any more money to the U.S. federal government because I know the taxpayers of the U.S. will not pay for that debt. That's going to happen if we don't stop this. Absolutely. Rick Scott, if people want to know more about what you're doing, how can they find out? Go to rescueamerica.com. I put out a plan. It's got 12... uh, 12, uh, Points. It's got 148 policy positions. Give me your ideas. I mean, if you have a better idea, I'm, I'm into ideas. I'm into how do we solve the problems of this country. We've got to figure out how to make this a better country than what we have today. I love our country, and I think we have every opportunity, but we can make it better. Let's all do it together. Well, keep taking, taking the slings and arrows because I know that people don't <laughs> like you because you speak the truth. But you're going to get there and you're going to I don't think I'll be the establishment, Martha. No. I don't think I'll ever be part of the establishment no, up here. No, <laughs> you won't be. You will never be part of the establishment because you have always looked at things in a pragmatic way. And I've known you a long time. And I appreciate the way you look at things and that you're not afraid to say it. But also you do it in a very positive way. And I appreciate that. Thank you. We're going to do it. Well, have a great day, Martha. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. We had Chris Draft on last week, who is a former Falcon player that uh, has just committed his life to looking for answers related to lung cancer because he lost his beautiful wife at 37 years old to lung cancer. And so, you know, it drives a lot of people. And my next guest, Becky Martin, is another one of those people who have been driven by uh, this horrible disease, cancer, to be active. And we welcome you back to the program. 
Martha, I'm so glad to be here. Good morning to you and your listeners. So, first of all, give people just the thumbnail story about the Knox Martin Foundation and how you got here. Sure. So, coming up next month will be our two-year anniversary. So, the Knox Martin Foundation was founded less than six months after our oldest son, Knox, passed away from the deadliest and most aggressive form of brain cancer called a GBM. A glioblastoma. And throughout that process of craniotomies and chemotherapy and radiation and setbacks, Knox never gave up. He continued to serve his community through philanthropy, through his fraternity at the University of Georgia. He continued to work and he graduated just about six months before he passed away. And he taught us the value of determination and the value of community and relationships. And so we started with that love of of Knox and also throughout the journey, understanding the disease that you learn in a way that you wouldn't ever want to learn, that there is so little research on such a deadly disease. And so we committed out of grief to change that narrative and to partner with world-renowned Brain Cancer Center, Duke Institute and Brain Tumor Center to fund innovative research to find answers so someone else's knocks can have a shot at a longer life. Well, and I think that's the thing a lot of people don't understand. I mean, whether it's the president talking about a cure for cancer, Roy Barnes, a number of years ago, our former governor talking about a cure for cancer, and I think their heart's in the right place. Don't get me wrong, okay? But cancer is not one disease, and we've done really great work on certain types of cancer, breast cancer, um, uh, lymphomas, uh, other types of cancer. We've got great treatments for prostate cancer, that kind of thing. But the more difficult cancers, whether it's adenocell carcinoma, which is a lung cancer, or it's uh, G, uh, GBM GBM that you're talking about that's a brain cancer, they're more difficult. And so they haven't had the kind of research put behind them that they should. We're doing better in the lung cancer world than we were. We've got some early screening now. We've got better treatments. And there are people like Starlet Jones who had the same type of cancer that my sister had. They were desi- diagnosed at the same time. The treatment for her has worked great and she's still around. The treatment for my sister did not, and she passed away, sadly. Sadly, It's, I'm sorry. it's different, but you know, it's different. You've got to have those kinds of, why did one person survive and another one not? Because you've got to understand more about what happens. Truly. You know, I was at the University of Georgia last Monday, um, and we were there because we're visiting some donors. We were checking in with some sponsors of our upcoming Night for Knox event, which I'd love to tell you about. And we were also getting um, to talk to the Greek life, going to sorority and fraternity houses and letting them know about Knox. He was so committed to that community. And I'll give you just a little story, Martha, that encapsulates this struggle. So I'm walking from the Kappa house to the Kayo house. And in a span of just a few minutes, I receive a text from a 26-year-old. Now, she's friends with someone on our, someone on our advisory board. She has just been diagnosed with a low-grade malignant brain cancer and she's googling it and she's trying to get answers and she calls me miss becky mr google is not your friend in so this true situation. so true but i think that she was more than probably researching other things that could lead her astray or that might not be the picture that she wants to paint she actually was looking at research treatments and she texted me and said miss becky why is there not enough research on this 
And I said, I hear you, Rachel. And that's exactly what we're doing. So what a story then that I got to tell the Cayo house of having received that. In addition, before I went to the first house, I had a phone call from a friend of mine from college. Her father's passing away from a GBM. And she was talking about that liminal space where we're in this life, but we're seeing a loved one move into the next and just how precious that time is. And then I went to dinner that night and took some friends out and I saw a sister of a young woman who lives here in Georgia who has recently had a brain cancer recurrence. So just again, in a span of about two hours, I saw the need for research, the newly diagnosed I saw the need to gather that community like we were doing and talking with them about how they can get involved. And then I saw the beautiful um, passing of life and, and honoring that in all its forms. So tell us about A Night for Knox. Yes. So Night for Knox, um, it was formed again just a few months after Knox passed. Knox's birthday um, is April 24th. So it's Anna Jacobs, by the way. Just had to put that in there. And um, so every month in April, we gather to celebrate what's being done to end brain cancer and what we still need to do. We come together to celebrate life. Uh, Knox loved parties. He loved music. And that's exactly what we're going to have. Again, it's Saturday, April 1st. Kind of an unusual day, April Fool's Day, to have an event. But we're going to make a, a full day. out of cancer. Exactly. Yeah. We have live music. We have Akita Funk coming in. It's a Charlotte band. Apparently has a lot of really good reviews. We have a live auction. We have a beautiful seated dinner from a Ferris Tree member. We have an open bar. And we have the opportunity to hear from our Duke researchers on the update of the funds that we have given them. That's very exciting. So are tickets still available? Tickets are available, and you can get them at knoxmartinfoundation.org. You can check us out also on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, and there'll be links for tickets and tell you a little bit more detail about the event on those platforms. And it's at Guardian Works, if I didn't mention that. It's on the west side of Atlanta, a trendy area, a very industrial site. It's a venue that we're going to check out today, actually, uh, for a second time. So excited about this space, but it's going to accommodate all of us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Please join us. Yeah, I think, you know, these kinds of events are important to kind of educate people. Um, I think that, you know... As I mean, I can't even imagine what you go through every day um, because you've got other children. And, you know, I hate to even say that phrase, other children, you know, because it's it makes it sound as if one's more important than the other. But you have other children. You have other things in your life. But this has really kind of become your mission. It has. Um, last fall, I was blessed to be hired on as full-time president and CEO. CEO In December, I wrapped up um, my Master's of Religion and Public Life degree at Emory, which is nonprofit leadership and management with a theological underpinning. So just a beautiful combination of everything that I believe in and that I've been able to do. So um, it's it's been a huge blessing. How, how's my Eddie calling. doing? He's doing well. Thank you for asking. I was... Um, jokingly telling John and Jay a story before I walked in about Eddie crawling under the house. Uh, my husband is works in real estate, a uh, property owner, um, but he also manages. He's a licensed electrician and plumber contractor, so he does all the things. And we had some electricity go out, and, you know, of course, that's what he gets to do. So he's crawling under the house to the very farthest point from the crawl space entry. So uh, we were having a good time this morning uh, laughing about that, how life just kind of throws you these little things, and it's what you make of it. 
Yeah, it's funny. We've got um, a service coming out this afternoon to clean out our gutters because I do not let Lynn get up on the ladders anymore. That's a good point. You shouldn't. Uh, Just because it's not that he can't do it. He knows how to do it. He has maintained our home for our whole lives. He always knows. He knows how to build things, make things, fix things, you know, but... I said, no, you're not getting up on the ladder, and we'll get somebody out there to do it. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to hire somebody. That's right. Who does it all day, every day. That's right. So tell us again about uh, the Night for Knox. Yes. So again, it's Saturday, April the 1st. It's going to begin around 7 o'clock. We'll probably open the venue for cocktails around 6.30. It's at Guardian Works. So just Google Guardian Works. It's on Echo Street in the west side of Atlanta, kind of tucked in back behind Georgia Tech. Um, it's going to be an event to remember. So we're there to gather, to have inspirational speakers tell us what they have been able to do and accomplish with the funds that we provided and what they want to do with the funds that we're going to raise that evening. We have an incredible live auctioneer. He's coming back for a second time. Just really gets you in the heart and spirit of why we're there in the first place to gather as that community and to come together and bring our resources to fight this battle. Um, you know, the first year it was exclusively almost everyone there knew Knox and had a one-on-one relationship with him. The second year, I would say um, much more people were fresh on the scene and and, and kind of new to what the Knox Martin Foundation was. And I talked with several of them. There's a whole contingency that comes in from New York with uh, Madison Letts, who was Knox's uh, girlfriend. And you know, one of them said to me, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't know if this was going to be a somber occasion. I, I wasn't quite sure, but I'm glad I came because it wasn't at all. It was really a celebration. And I feel like I know Knox and now I won't miss this event. So it's it's a lot of fun. Again, that live band and everything. Why do you think there are certain types of cancer? Is it all about money that there are certain types of cancer that get more research than others? Or is it that just some are more difficult to research? That's a really great question. And what I've learned from our research is this. There are promising therapies, but there's not much incentive for big pharma to invest in them because they are either cheap, like Prozac is one of the FDA-approved clinical trials. They're seeing a difference, a positive change, when a brain tumor patient, brain cancer patient, is taking Prozac. They see longevity in life. What's that all about? Well, Prozac has been around for 50 years. It's really cheap. Big Pharma's not real interested in that because they're not going to get any money on that. And then also, perhaps, they're not going to generate financial profit Um, because they, the clinical trials or these promising therapies involve biological components that no company owns, like the TIL trial to grow immune cells in the lab and give them back to patients, which creates a really customized immunotherapy. So I'm not, I don't want to knock Big Pharma. I mean, we're all here because of some wonderful things that Big Pharma has done. But to answer the, the question in a pointed way, I think they're not as interested in these and this type of patient patient population, right, because the outcomes are so poor, but the outcomes are so poor because they don't invest a lot of money. So it takes philanthropy. And Dr. Mustafa Kasserat Duke kept telling me, Becky, tell your constituents, tell your friends, tell your donors and sponsors, it takes philanthropy for us to get the seed money to have significant data to then go and apply for federal grants. And without it, Big Pharma's not going to be interested. And unfortunately, folks, whether you're talking about research in the political science world or any of the sciences, the federal government is the biggest donor 
towards that research. And that means there's lots of strings attached to that research, which is wrong. If you're going to do scientific research, you should go where the science leads you, regardless if it goes away from the agenda of the federal government. Yes. But too many times that gets in the way. Give folks the website one more time. Absolutely. KnoxMartinFoundation.org. Becky Martin, thank you for coming in today. Martha, my pleasure. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.